This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This one to left center. Did he do it again? Yes, he did. Cody Bellinger, three for three tonight. His second home run. Hello and welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed reporter for MLB.com and the wonderful Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, I know last week was a lot of speculation of like, what could happen with Juan Soto and I felt like it was moments later that it it sort of all went down because it seemed like it happened so quick everything happened so quick last week um, as we expected and so now we can talk a little bit more definitively about Juan Soto but it might be a little bit more against him because (laughs) this series uh, over the weekend between the Padres and the Dodgers was uh really fun sort of like a statement type of series it felt like in a way um we have a lot to talk about there we might actually get to talk about the guardians what on earth is happening there um we have such a big moment to have another guest on the show david adler will be joining us later on to be able to talk a little bit more about some more fun baseball stuff, Sarah. I'm excited. I mean, I, I think it's uh, I think it's new for us to be excited and uh, about baseball, and we never talk about the fun of things ever. So uh, it'll be nice change of pace, right? <laughs> yeah, totally different from what we normally do. <laughs> no, but I love what you said. I mean, we'll get into it with uh, Ahmed Rosario, but people know you cover the Guardians, but we're never going to force a Guardians topic. But I think Ahmed Rosario kind of forced this topic himself. So I'm really excited for that. And hey, just so much fun stuff to talk about from the weekend, the last week or so. We won't even be able to cover Jacob deGrom having his first start back at City Field. Pitching there for the first time since early July 2021. But that was a big moment from the weekend as well. So feel like we should just dive in with the Padres and Dodgers. I mean, I, I of course, it seemed like somehow the schedule aligned perfectly as if the baseball gods knew that the biggest news would happen in San Diego at the deadline. And within a week of that deadline, there was going to be this critical series of like, you have Juan Soto joining his new team going against the Dodgers. And I don't know how it always works out that with the out that way. I'm sure baseball was excited that it worked out that way because it certainly brought a lot of attention to everything that's happened over the week. And the Dodgers ran away with it in a way. Uh, They had no problem with with facing Juan Soto and the Padres, but it was enjoyable of a series to watch. 
It really was. And there were so many tweets over the weekend kind of, you know, impersonating a conversation of, oh, the Padres, hey, we got Josh Bell, we got Brand Drury, we got Juan Soto. And the Dodgers kind of like, oh, yeah, that's cute. And I do think we saw the difference between these two teams. Now, it's important to note there are going to be some returns for both sides. There are going to change the shape of how these teams look moving forward. Fernando Tatis Jr. started his rehab assignment. He will be playing for the Padres based on reports at some point this month. And he has, of course, not played for them all year. And then on the Dodgers' side, they've been doing all this without Walker Buehler, without Dustin May, both of whom seem to be on their way back, maybe May before Buehler. But it seems like by October, they should have both of them. So when you're trying to assess these two teams, it's almost worth noting that they aren't even at full strength. Which is pretty crazy because even though the Padres got swept by the Dodgers, even though there does seem to be a clear difference there, the Padres are still really, really good. And the idea that both of these teams still have some very key pieces on their way back should be pretty scary for the rest of the National League. Yeah, I mean, I am watching mostly the AL Central, which couldn't be more opposite of of everything that you're saying right now. It's hard to imagine that these teams can get better. You look at their records, you look at what they've done this year, you look at what this weekend was, and both of them are capable of getting better before the end of the season. It's just mind-blowing in a way. I think it's so much fun to be able to watch. You have the Dodgers who are already starting to get close to 80 wins on the season, which... That in itself seems hard to believe, but you start thinking about all of these things. What will this look like as we get down the line? I mean, I think what will it look like once we get into the postseason? I, I wonder how these moves will change maybe what could have happened uh maybe if this will make it more difficult on the Dodgers to be able to to make a run this year I don't know I think I think the Dodgers are sitting pretty I think we sort of see that right now but um I think it'll be interesting to see how this plays out I think it'll be fun to continue to watch uh Juan Soto adjust to his new team and see where he is by the end of the year um I know it seems so strange. Like there was the tweets of like seeing his jersey get sewn together. You see the Soto getting put on the back of the uniform. It seems so strange, but it was really cool to see the videos of like him and Josh Bell coming in to to meet with Tatis as soon as they got to town. And um, I think it'll be fun to see the rest of the season and see how it pans out because obviously you can only go up when you're adding players that they added at the deadline. It's really interesting because Fangraph's uh, win projections and postseason odds actually have the Padres with a better rest of season win percentage than the Dodgers. So that means just from today onward, who is thought to have a better win percentage based on projections. Now, most of that is based on a remaining schedule. So the Padres have a 592 rest of season win percentage according to those projections. The Dodgers are at 573. So both are really good just to start with. 
But the reason for that in part is that the Padres remaining strength of schedule is 497. So the conglomeration of all the teams they're facing the rest of the way are below 500. The Dodgers remaining strength of schedule is 514. So they're facing more teams above 500 in that stretch. So that's probably where a lot of this comes from. But it's interesting because what that projection tells you is, contrary to what we saw in the last three games, overall the projections have these teams as pretty even from this point forward. Now, the division is over. I mean, you know, put me on freezing cold takes if that changes, but I highly doubt it will. But it does get to the idea of October if they were to face off in another round in the postseason what might happen and i do want to drop one other dodger stat so just to the point that this team is so good and on another level and we mentioned edwin diaz and jacob de at the beginning or i did the mets are really good too this is not to take away from them but the dodgers i don't know if we're talking about just how dominant they are They've won eight straight games all by multiple runs. That is tied for their fourth longest streak of wins all by multiple runs since the franchise became a National League team, which was in 1890. So they had a streak of 11 straight like this in 1945, and then two streaks of nine straight in 47 and 1940. Think about how good the Dodgers have been over the last even 10 years. The last time they even did this in eight straight was in 2008. So it's amazing how they always seem to find another way to show us why they're one of the consistent best teams in baseball. I mean, hearing all of that, yes, you you obviously know that going into the year, it always seems like they're in it. It's hard to believe when you hear things like that, that they don't have more titles because it's just it's they are so consistently good. Um, And you would think that even if you just stumble into a couple more just luck, you would think just because you're you're there, it seems like you're right there all the time that you would think that it would just happen by luck more frequently. It's hard to believe, I think, in that case that they don't have more, but it's pretty clear what we're able to see right now. I think it's pretty special to see what what this team is right now, and I think I do think this that the Padres, even though the division, like you said, is over, and I highly doubt you'll end up with a freezing cold take there, but... I do think that the Padres could make it a little bit challenging for them. I think in the postseason, it could get pretty interesting. But still, the Dodgers are just so special. I think Mookie Betts is one of the most fun players to watch in baseball. Um, I I don't know. But they're just so consistently good that it's just mind-blowing to me that they don't, and I don't know, maybe they just, for a big market, it just seems like the focus isn't always on them for such a huge market um, and how good they usually are. And one of my favorite things ever is how giddy you get whenever you find stats like this because <laughs> I could feel it in the way you said it. I could, And then I, as soon as you said that you wanted to bring it up and I saw the smile on your face through the screen 
I was like, all right, she's got something good, and I'm excited about it, too. So I always love not knowing these things coming into it, because nothing is better than a giddy Sarah Langs over an awesome stat that you found. So that was, that was pretty solid. I love that. Thank you. And you know what? I almost tweeted this a little while ago when I was getting ready for our conversation today. And I don't know if you agree. I don't know if it's the same for you. But one of my favorite things now that, what are we on? Episode six, I think, um, of doing this together is that I actually really love just the process of prepping for this podcast. Going through, figuring out what are we going to talk about? What am I going to drop on you? And not just finding our favorite baseball moments, but even just finding uh, stats and stuff like that that I love. So I really enjoy doing that. Yeah, I think that's one of the best parts of this because, I mean, you even have a couple things in like a document that we share to make sure that we have our talking points down. But most of this is just us winging it throughout the whole thing of just genuinely talking about baseball and these specific topics. And so it's so fun for me to not really look too much at that because I like to hear it firsthand from you, I think it's fun because I'm so used to getting these through Slack because I message you random question times so many times and then I can get all the information that I need within 0.7 of a second. And um, so it's fun to actually see it happen live. So uh, yeah, I think that that's pretty fun. And I think that the next thing is something that I have bothered you about for like a week straight now of random question times. So speaking of doing those live, um, all my like all of my messages to you have been regarding Ahmed Rosario in some sort of a way, I think. It's just like like you said at the top of the show, he sort of forced his way into being in this conversation this week for us because of the way that he's been hitting, um, the way that it's been sort of surprising to see the strength that he's had this year and the power that he's had this year. Along the same lines, like he sort of has forced the Guardian's hand in a way of keeping him in their lineup, keeping him at shortstop. Um, Cal Quantrill, one of the Guardian starters, had a really good quote this week saying, as many people who want to keep trying to tell him that he's not going to be a shortstop or that he's not good enough to be a shortstop, here he is proving it every single day that he's our shortstop. And I thought that was a really cool way of saying it because it is what you hear all the time with him. Now, his defense isn't, It's still not at the top of the leaderboards. Like, he's not blowing everyone away with it. But in relation to where he's been, it's a ginormous improvement of where he was last year to where he is this year. And to pair that with the consistency that he's had offensively this year, I think it's been – it's basically forced the Guardians to say, we're not trading this guy. I don't care how much time of control he has left. We're not going to try to trade this guy at the deadline. We want him in our lineup if we're trying to compete this year. So he sort of forced the Guardians' hand too, which was cool. I love – so we're getting ready to do this podcast, you know. I usually hop into that document reference to around Thursday, Friday – started thinking, okay, what do we want to talk about? I put in there Ahmed Power with a question mark because he had hit this 450-foot home run on August 3rd, the longest homer of his career. And he's actually had two home runs of at least 445 feet, 
since the middle of June. Before that, his longest homer of his career was 437 feet. And here he is with a 447 and a 450. For anyone who's followed his career, it's been this ongoing sort of storyline of we know the raw power is there somewhere, but he has not really shown it at the major league level. He was never a guy who we ever expected would hit a 450-foot home run. He came out and did that. And then over the weekend, I want to say on Saturday, but you'll correct me because you were there, uh, he made a great play with a great scoop by Josh Niller at first, playing at shortstop, probably playing into the quote you mentioned. And he's really become a notable player on that team. It's really interesting when you think of that Lindor and Carrasco trade. It was Lindor and Carrasco over to the Mets for Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez. And we've talked about Jimenez on this podcast. I believe you talked about the moment when he got to FaceTime his family, tell them he was an all-star. And what I've really enjoyed is when the Guardians are on national broadcasts, like when they're on the Peacock game on Sunday morning or Sunday early afternoon. They almost couldn't decide which guy to compare to Lindor. And it's just a testament to how good both of them have been. I mean, there should be no side-by-side of any of these three guys, but we know that that's how coverage goes. And there was so much comparison of what Jimenez has done in comparison to Lindor, and now Rosario is kind of pushing the conversation as well. Yeah, it's good for Cleveland to have that too because we just watched how the Trevor Bauer trade played out and they now have nobody left from that trade, which at that time looked like an enormous haul coming back. And after they designated Fran Reyes for assignment, now they're out of everybody. So a trade that in the end seems now like a bust ends up, you can at least look back at the Francisco Lindor trade. Um, and at the time really was a gut punch to fans because Car- Carlos Carrasco was unexpectedly tagged in there um, into that trade as well. And he was just such a beloved player in Cleveland. So that was so difficult for fans to stomach. Well, now in retrospect, it seems like this one is at least paying off. And so Cleveland can at least hang their hats on that because that, that, that's been a huge plus for them. Like you said, both of these guys have been really important to this lineup. It was so ridiculous to believe that Ahmed Rosario led the majors last year in four hit games. And I know that that when we had our company trivia night, um, when you host a a MLB.com company trivia night over Zoom, I at least knew one answer because that was one of the questions. Uh, I appreciated you including that so I could look smart to people for a brief moment. Um, But it was just hard to believe that a guy who hardly received any national attention um, was slowly, quietly having that type of a season where he was a huge impact to the Guardians, um, then Indians last year. Um, 
but it just wasn't recognized. And so this year, that's how you get recognized. You start having those huge home runs. You start getting the highlight type of plays. Um, and that's how you start slowly getting more national recognition as you see the big sluggers that are today that can hit 450 with their eyes closed. But um, Cleveland doesn't have any of those type of guys. It takes every ounce of strength for every single person to be able to get it that deep. So um, it's been fun to watch play out because it's just, I like the underdog type of story. I think it's always fun. Um, it's always enjoyable. I think everyone likes to root for an underdog. So to see someone finally starting to settle in, to be able to take uh, this position, like Cal Quantrill sort of said, that nobody believes he should have had um, in the first place, and for him to be able to run with it, continue to work. I know he's not tremendously old, but on the Guardians roster, he looks like an old man out there because everyone else is like 17 years old, it seems like. So, um to be the more veteran type of presence in this lineup and to be able to continue to work just as hard as he does every single day to improve has been really impressive. And I know he's best friends with Jose Ramirez and that's the name of Jose Ramirez's game is to just work your tail off. Um, and so it probably doesn't hurt to be alongside that every single day. So it's really, really worked out for Cleveland. I think that friendship and the outstanding Cleveland coaching staff have really had an impact on him. You know, you and I have talked a lot this year about how many guys on Cleveland are towards the top in a lot of plate discipline stats. So, Miles Straw, Stephen Kwan, Jose Ramirez, all close to the top there. And I remember we were digging into whiff rate stuff early in the year Ahmed Rosario kept being up there and I knew as you know being a Mets fan still when he was first called up that that was not exactly his calling card early in his career and I just think Cleveland deserves a ton of credit. I mean I'm staring at his stat cast percentile. He is in the 87th percentile in strikeout rate which is really good. He was 56th percentile last year, 44th in 2020. He's also in the 78th percentile in whiff rate, 47th last year, 58th in 2020. So, you know, not a definitive upward trajectory there, but just overall being better than at least 25% of the league in not striking out, not swinging and missing. That is part of what's allowing him to get those hits and just continue to be that good. So it's really exciting to see a guy who was a top prospect and never quite lived up to what he was when he was touted in that way finally get to that moment. I do want to mention, uh, or I guess he's kind of our co-host, even though we're never on at the same time as Mike Petriello, uh, but you know, Mike Petriello, part of the Ballpark Dimensions family. Every now and then, he revives the same tweet thread I think he's probably had for four or five years on Ahmed Rosario about how he always believed in him and it's so great to see, feel himself reeled back in. You know, it doesn't always quite 
go the way he was expecting, but I feel like I've been talking to Mike about Rosario for a while. I feel like he had a trivia question on Twitter once, right when I started, and it was like the largest increase in hard hit rate from 18 to 19, and he tweeted, and I immediately slacked him, was like, is it Ahmed? And I was right. So I was associating <laughs> him with Rosario, so I do want to mention him in this moment since he's part of the uh, podcast family. Uh, absolutely. I think anytime that we can shout out any type of uh, any type of stat, especially the ones that Sarah can uh, name without even having to look anything up and know the answer to. Yeah, let's let's make sure we include that. He's been fun to watch. I think he'll continue to be this way the, the rest of the season. He has not really missed a beat the entire year. He's really been consistent for them, um, both offensively and defensively, which is a big surprise. So that's played out well for the guardians. Maybe not every trade has, but this one definitely has. This is the one that we can at least uh, look back on and Cleveland can say, okay, this one worked out for us, but we can step aside real quick because I'm excited to come back. I think as much as it is fun for us to be able to sit here and talk about baseball, it's going to be fun to have another friend join us. We'll have David Adler come on, which I think you have the headline here for our little segment called Adley with Adler, which is probably the most fun segment name that we could possibly have. So we'll have David Adler come on and he can talk about Adley Rutschman with us. I know he's been writing about him recently, so who better to get some information from than the source himself. So we'll step away real quick. And when we come back, David Adler will be with us. Stay with us. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, I know we were really excited for this segment. I think you texted me over the weekend saying, wait, I have an idea. And I know I get excited for every topic that comes after that statement because it has to be a good idea. Um, I don't think you've ever had a bad one. Um, And so... You said that you wanted to bring on David Adler. You thought that would be a lot of fun for us to be able to talk to him since he'd been writing about Adley Rutschman. And obviously we can go on and on about how much fun everything is in baseball because that's our specialty. But it's probably best to go straight to the source of somebody who's had all of the the stats and background and all the knowledge that's gone into it. So we'll welcome in David Adler now. David, thanks for joining us to talk about this. No, thank you guys for having me, and uh, thanks for talking me up so much. Uh, I'm sure this will be a great idea after all. <laughs> Sarah, specifically with you, like when you came up with the idea, what did you see at that point where you were like, yep, let's bring him on? So, obviously, I wanted us to talk Orioles in some way, and we talked about them, what was that, two weeks ago? 
And yeah. I was thinking about who can we talk up on that team. And I remember this great story that David wrote earlier, or last week, I should say, uh, towards the end of last week about Adley Rochman and how he is already looking like an all-around star to take from the headline that David wrote for the story. So, David, why don't you take us through what you kind of keyed in on, on how Adley is already looking like one of the best catchers in baseball? Yeah, I mean, I can't believe you were uh, trying to figure out who you can talk up on the Orioles because, I mean, Adley Rutschman is just that guy. Like, he he's doing everything, which is which is why I think, you know, he's showing such a high potential. You know, it's hard enough to get a good catcher who does, like, one thing these days. And, you know, Adley Rutschman is already doing everything as a rookie. Uh, and, you know, you can see why he was the number one pick, number one prospect. I mean, he's, like, a, one of the top uh, framing catchers in baseball already. He's one of the top uh, catchers in terms of his arm strength and how fast he gets the ball at second base and his pop times. And, you know, uh, since he started heating up toward the beginning of June – He's been uh, one of the best hitting catchers in baseball. I mean, you look at the, you know, best offensive catchers in baseball this season, it's, you know, him, the two Contreras brothers, uh, Alejandro Kirk and Will Smith there. That's the top five. So, I mean, and maybe, you know, you might have slept on Adley Rutschman a little bit because he came up to a lot of hype and then slumped at the beginning, um, you know, but basically for two straight months now, he's he's been raking. And then when, when you add in what he's doing on defense, it's just like, he could be one of the best all-around catchers in baseball already. A hundred percent. And, you know, uh, we've talked about on this podcast, but one of my all-time best friends from college, JT, is a huge Orioles fan. And I feel like at this point, every couple of days, I get a text where he says, hey, Adley, over his last 15 games, check out the splits. So I feel like I was in on this kind of early. But just overall, I mean, I feel like he is such a good, you know, kind of icon for what this Orioles team has done. They're surprising people. And as you said, he's already one of the top all-around catchers. Despite being a rookie, I'm not sure that everyone saw that coming. I feel like we tend to adjust our expectations, even for top prospects, and especially for one at a position as demanding as catcher. It's really good to see that he is already, you know, taking the position by storm. And is there, I don't know, did you look into it all? Who might you compare him to if he continues going down this path? Well, I mean, you, it's, it's kind of tough to compare him to somebody because he does every part of the game. Like, you can compare him in each of his different skill sets. I mean, like... He's kind of like maybe like Sean Murphy a little bit right now is what I would say. Uh, I mean, their framing numbers are both pretty similar, pretty good. They're both getting just under 50% of borderline pitches called strikes, which is like really good, especially uh, in baseball now, you know, like as, as the strike zone gets called more consistently. Um, they both have really good arms, you know, similar pop time stats too. Uh, you know, Adley Rutschman's pop time, one nine two seconds to second base. Uh, Sean Murphy's one nine, you know, with, MLB average being two seconds. So both of those really strong arms. And then, you know, look at his hitting stats. I guess Sean Murphy's kind of boomer bust hitting wise. So I don't know. You look at top all around catchers, you think like JT Realmuto, maybe uh, Wilson Contreras, Will Smith. Like those are the type of guys who hit. Uh, Wilson Contreras obviously has the strong arm too. Realmuto has the strong arm. 
always the pop time leader. So, I mean, yeah, like Adley Rushman could be like those guys. Like he doesn't have Real Mudo's track record. He doesn't have Wilson Contreras' track record. But, you know, if he plays like this for a few years, like that's him. I know you said sort of whenever he started out slumping a little bit more, it was easy for him to fly under the radar and it was easy to overlook him. And I know because of Julio Rodriguez, the way that he sort of took the rookie stage by storm. I know Sarah and I have talked about him at length. Um, Now dealing with injuries and things like that, that can maybe set him back a little bit more in that spotlight. But it just seems hard to believe when you look at the numbers that Rutschman has had since the beginning of June that it still feels like he's a little bit under the radar because he does. it doesn't seem like he has the biggest spotlight on him, the Julio Rodriguez type of rookie spotlight. Does this seem like something that maybe if he can keep this pace that he started since the beginning of June, he can start making more of a push at like an, a, a rookie of the year type of situation? Yeah, I mean, I think if he if he puts up these type of numbers for the last two months, you know, like he should be right up there, you know, in the in the running for rookie of the year. I think it's going to be hard to, to steal it from Julio Rodriguez, considering like how electrifying he was, and you know, I think Julio Rodriguez would be probably the deserving rookie of the year. But I mean, Ali Rushman's like right right there. Uh, I mean, you know, you talk about like your Sarah, your friend uh, talking about his last fifteen games. Well, you look at his last like forty five games. He's like nine thirty eight OPS. He, you know, Petriello is not here, so I can say he's batting two ninety seven and talk about his batting average, uh, four hundred nine on base, five twenty nine slugging. Like, I mean, that's like star hitter numbers. All like all three slash line categories. Super disciplined. He's only chasing like twenty percent of pitches. He's only swinging and missing at like fifteen percent of pitches. He walks a lot. Real dude's like a complete hitter. You know, he's turning on hundred mile an hour fastballs from Garrett Cole and he's like ripping them into the gap. Like, like he, he looks like a really, really good hitter. And, you know, maybe, maybe if he had some more eyes on him early on, he, you know, he would be, you know, it would be like Julio Rodriguez, Adley Rutschman going head to head. I'm really curious to see where he lands up. When we do position our rankings entering next year. Cause I remember when I did my catcher rankings entering 2022, I put him as kind of a wild card at 10. I remember talking to Jason Ratliff, who works for us with MLB Pipeline, really leads that group. And I asked him, when do you think he might come up? And I was trying to determine what number of at-bats I needed to see from Adley Rushman to consider that he might be a top 10 catcher. I'm very proud of the fact I had him on the list. I believe it was just me and Vince Gennaro who had him entering the year among our little MLB network crew. But now I'm looking at the list of guys I had entering 2022 with Will Smith and Real Muto, Grandal, Sean Murphy, who you mentioned, Salvi Perez, Mike Zanino, Wilson Contreras, Jacob Stallings, and I had Omar Narvaez. And looking at those names, I mean, Rutschman could easily be, I think, maybe top five or six on that list entering next year, especially, uh, you know, kind of depending how the rest of the season goes for a couple of these guys. So it's really exciting, really good for the game to have a guy young like this succeeding and at this position, you know, I think that home runs are great. Guys who come up, they're playing in the outfield, they're playing first base. 
they're mostly about power. That's also really important. But having a guy who is so important on defense is really, really key. Yeah, I mean, and also, you know, he, he rips it gap to gap. It's not like he's not hitting. Uh, and he's also way more of an exciting catcher than a lot of those other guys who, who you listed off. So, like, you definitely want to have him in, like, the top five or so catchers. And I, and I totally get having him in the top ten even before seeing him play. You know, catchers are so thin these days, and he's the number one prospect. You know, reasonable to, like, hope for a top ten catcher season from Madley Rutschman, and we're getting much better than that. So well, that is good for baseball. That is for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be – I hate always saying it, but I think it is going to be interesting and fun to be able to see him pan out. Um, I think it's fun to see this group of rookies that they that are currently starting to take over because you have so many stars right now who are young but have been in the majors, it seems like, for five or six years. You have these like guys who are still under 25 and yet are still the, the superstars of the game, and now you have the rookies joining them like Julio Rodriguez and hopefully now Adley Rutschman joining that, that star level. I think it should be a good sense of where major league baseball is going. And I love this whole, let the kids play aspect. So um, I think it's steers right into that, but uh, David, thank you for joining us. I mean, I think that this was a, a great segment, Sarah, thank you for that uh, recommendation of making sure that he got on here to talk about Rutschman, because I don't think many, enough people are talking about him. Oh, thank you guys for having me. Love talking to Adley Rutschman or, uh, or, or any good, <laughs> good young, young players. Absolutely. Thank you so much, David. Sarah, you stay with me, though. We need a couple extra minutes to think about this. We'll come back and we'll have our favorite moments from baseball, whether it be on or off the field over the past week. So when we come back, we will list those and see if we can surprise each other with something that the other maybe didn't see in the past week. So stay with us. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed Reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter, if I can say it correctly, for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, I, I think every time we go to this segment, we actually do take a quick break because I know in podcasts, people never know if you just keep rolling through because we don't record this live. No, we actually have to take a break every single time because we're stuck between multiple different things of we take this to the last minute every week of trying to figure out what our favorite thing is because I wish I could express that this is not an exaggeration we text about stuff in baseball 24 7 that gets us so excited and so there's a lot to choose between and then especially if you try to branch out on your own of something that the other person may not have seen it gets even more difficult so did you finally determine what you wanted to, to pick as yours? I did. And I'll, I'll give people behind the scenes. So we're recording now Monday afternoon. Mandy was getting ready to welcome us back from break. And I said, wait, wait, wait. I didn't pick mine. <laughs> I did pick it now. We're good. I think I have to go with the fact that Juan Soto was mic'd up on Sunday Baseball last night. It was really cool to get that kind of insight from 
first of all, player who is that good has been through so much this past week with being traded, all of the rumors swirling. Now he's sitting there in a Padres uniform at Dodger Stadium. He was so good on the mic. One of the best moments was when Cody Bellinger came up and made some pretty good contact and ended up hitting a home run. Soto's mic'd up, and you hear him going, stay here, stay here, stay here. <laughs> stay here, stay here, stay here. Talking to the baseball, and then Carl Ravitch with the perfect ball. It did not stay here. I mean, it was amazing. But I also really loved just the way he, you know, he got asked to describe himself and he said, I'm just a guy who brings energy to a team. I'll never give up on my team. And they asked him about players he liked growing up and sort of his baseball history. And he said, I love the game of baseball. First of all, for me, I just love the game. I love all of this energy. And he kind of put that into context with, yes, it's made me famous. I've made money off of this. But overall, at its root, this is all just about loving the game. So I really, really enjoyed that. And one other part of it, and yes, I picked this, and so I kind of get like four. Um, but one other part was he caught a fly ball from Trey Turner. And then he said on the mic, oh, he's going to be mad at me because he caught a fly ball from his former teammate. And then he actually told a story of how when he was in L.A. playing the Dodgers when he was still on the Nats earlier this year, Trey Turner made a, like, all-out dive to get a ground ball that Soto hit. And that they were texting, and he was like, hey, if you're doing that on my plays, I'm going all out on yours, too. See, is there anything better than a mic'd up player? Like, I no. honestly... It's just, the, it's my favorite thing about baseball. It's my favorite thing that they've incorporated. I know logistically it can be difficult at different times. I know that it's not something that can happen every single game for every single team, but the way that they have done it now, I think it just brings such a positive like attention to the game. I think it allows people to see that they're more than just this figure that's a baseball player and it's like this robot that goes out there and only focuses on baseball and they're just known for baseball it brings a human aspect to it where you get to know their personalities especially in the middle of what they're doing every single day you get to hear what they're thinking whenever they're watching a ball fly out of a park you can see all this stuff right in front of you I think it's so cool so yes I'm glad you brought that up because it's really really a fun aspect to the game now and I think mine is sort of along those lines where it's like trying to bring that human aspect. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't pick anything else once you had sent this to me because baseball and babies, like that's all I need in my life. And I know, you know exactly where this is going now. You texted me this tweet uh, where they showed a picture of the, uh, you have Tony Kemp from the A's. You have Mike Yastrzemski from the Giants. Um, and they're each holding their babies. Kemp's is seven month old, seven months old. Yastrzemski's is eight months old. So they're essentially like the same age. 
They're standing on the field side by side and they have their babies in their arms. And oh my gosh, did my heart just like crumble. Um, I I don't, I, I can't even handle it. And they both, both of their little girls have like these big bows on their head. It's just so sweet of a picture. And like you said, I, I just said I couldn't handle it. And you said, yep, research confirms that they were teammates in college. And so obviously yeah. there's a, a connection there. They're friends from beyond professional baseball from it's just like it shows that this this baseball family aspect that is across the game I know I have the pleasure of being able to cover Terry Francona one of the best managers in the game he talks about it all the time he always says baseball is like this little fraternity that it seems like it's this huge community but it, it, in reality once you're in it it's not it's like this small close-knit family um people look at it as if you're on opposing teams you hate each other and everything is black and white and just focusing on the game and just being players but deep down there's relationships there obviously when you're playing against each other it's not like you're rooting for the other team to beat you or your friend to beat you on the other team but when the last pitch is is thrown and the last out is made you can go back to having those friendships and you see these two guys standing side by sides with big grins on their face having their daughters with them you forget these people are human you forget that they have little girls to go home to after the end of the day when they have a bad game and they have four strikeouts or something like that like they have to go home and be dad and you don't ever remember those types of things and so to see these two guys standing side by side with these adorable little babies I mean Yastrzemski's little girl has like the cheesiest little grin on her face oh my gosh I can't even handle it but the picture is just so perfect Perfect. I, I, I have not stopped thinking about it since you texted it to me. And you mentioned, of course, that they were teammates at Vanderbilt, which was kind of, I saw the photo and I was like, there's a connection here. I know Yaz went to Vandy. I'm pretty sure Kemp did. So I double checked and they were actually taken in the 2013 draft, both taken out of Vandy in the same year. They're both 30 plus and neither guy is a superstar and they both had their journeys throughout baseball and have now really found their place. I mean, Yastrzemski got MVP vote back in 2020. He's been a really important part of the Giants, especially over these last three years, four years. And Tony Kemp, after being on the Astros, who drafted him was briefly on the Cubs, but has now kind of found his place on the A's. And I just imagine that moment, that it's not just that they're both there taking pictures, old college buddies, but they're in their 30s, they have their families, and they're finally really more solid in this game. And, you know, we talked earlier about young stars, the Adley Rutschmans, the Juan Sotos, guys who get to baseball and are immediately solidified where they are. That's not the story for these two. And I think it's such an amazing testament to the game that there's enough room in baseball that these two guys were able to find their way eventually and get to take that photo. So I just think that moment must have meant so much to them. So I'm so glad that's what you picked. I need to take a time out real quick. There's breaking news right now. These little girls 
Let me tell you, I just discovered something. I zoomed into the picture. They are wearing the same dress, but it's for both of their dads, each of their dads. So they have the same style dress. I don't know where they got it, but it's they're incredible. You have Yastrzemski's daughter who has it with um, little Giants logos all over it, stars, and then her dad's jersey number, and then Yastrzemski, just like patterned all over the place. It's not like it's a jersey where it's right across the back. It's all over this little dress that just has Yastrzemski randomly, part of the pattern. And then you go over to Kemp's. And it has the same designs of having the A's logo on little baseballs all over the place. But instead of the last name, it just has daddy written all oh over. Oh my gosh. And yeah, so when I put my hand in my, or my face in my hands while you were talking and you were probably thinking that something just horrible happened to me. No, that was like the live view of watching me become a puddle because I just saw this and it is the most adorable thing. So clearly these guys have to be really good friends if their daughters have matching outfits, but for their respective dads and respective teams. I'm sorry, but that was just, I, I, that was a detail that I had to bring back up. But yes, everything that you said makes that all even better. Um, yeah, uh, I'm a little flustered now because that was that was the cuteness overload, and that extra detail I was not mentally prepared to handle right now. I can tell you that. Okay, collecting myself. That I need to get out of here because I'm uh, actually becoming a, a, a literal puddle as we continue to speak. So we're gonna wrap this week's podcast right now. Please don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere that you get your podcasts. If you are enjoying this installment of the show or you have any suggestions for us because we're always open to them, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. And thank you to David Adler for joining us this week. We'll see you all next week. Bye.